Today, we have acclaimed light artist Chris Levine, who is best known for his holographic artworks, most famously of the Queen and Grace Jones, and for his large, immersive laser and LED installations. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Adam. Morning. So I was going to ask you about the new, new show at Hofton, which, you know, I, I've, I've been to last weekend with the family who absolutely loved it. And I'm interested. So tell me how it began. How did the show start? Well, it was uh, in the garden of a private party um, about eight, nine years ago. And whilst the rest of the party were kind of rocky inside, this was about three, four o'clock in the morning. And I was commissioned yeah. to do a laser installation outside. And I had the lasers purple, it was raining, and there were about five or six people dancing in the rain while the rest of the party was rocking inside. And David Lord Chomley was one of those people who witnessed what I thought at the time, something I've really got to say with this, because, you know, this small group of people, there was Vivian Westwood, John Galliano, Boy George, Jazzy B from Soul to Soul, um, Andre Balaz, the hotelier, um, David and myself, you know, j just wow. watching, wow. and the host of the party, who was a very well-known supermodel, dancing half naked, in, in, it was a, and it was a beautiful moment. And I thought, you know, I've really got to savour this. I mean, there's these iconic, you know, and it's my lasers, and it was it just all, I just knew this was a significant moment. And, yeah. you know, when, when talking to, and that's, what, that's the night I met David, Lord Chomley, and, you know, it, I think that's when the seed was planted, but some while later, I was a couple of years later invited to James Terrell's opening at Houghton Hall. And I was outside on the lawn, but, you know, there wasn't many people out there. And then James came out of the hall and I met him, you know, where we shook hands on the very spot where the central axis of this piece, the molecule of light, which is the centerpiece of the show, that's the exact position where we installed it because that was where it's meant to be in terms of the, the landscape, the architecture, the, the topography, that was the grid that we were aligning it to. But on that exact spot, I met James Terrell, who, as a artist, an artist kind of fascinated with light, you know, he's the main man. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and I th remember thinking at the time, you know, one day I'm, I'm going to do something here at Houghton, you know, thinking it might be 15, 20, however long it takes, but we're going to do something here. And, yeah, that was... Uh, another one of those special moments that make you think that this is kind of, it's all meant to, all meant to be happening like this. I love that. And the idea that, you know, those key people, kind of the conversations and then slowly rallying around that moment where you're there shaking James Trail's hand. I love that. So tell me, the, the, so now it's not just a moment of two people meeting. There are thousands of people going there, you know, kind of, you know, across every week. And I, I tell you how that must feel, because I, I know, you know, it's really, you know, it's yours for a while, of course, but now it's given over to the crowds. And I wonder what kind of responses you're getting. Well, the response has, has been phenomenal. You know, you know, we put so much into the work and it, you know, it's, it's great that it's well received, but, you know, it's really work in progress, you know, on like every project or every artwork or every installation, you know, you, you create it and you get to a point where you have a deeper understanding and that informs the next step. So I'm already thinking of, you know, where this goes in terms of its next iteration and the tweaks we can make and, the, you know, everything we've learned in the process of creating this, which is something I'm, I'm really pleased with. 
Um, but I think it informs something quite exciting as, as next steps. And, and all the work in the show, they're all facets of a whole. They're all, you know, they're all work in progress. And, uh, you know, I think that w when it comes a time where you sit back and, you know, think how great it is, that's the time where you probably stop developing. So uh, there's been a brief moment of, you know, you know, had some lovely things said about the work and it's, you know, um, you know, that that's really, that's wonderful, but it's, you know, let's take it to the next level. Mm. Well, I mean, it's got a, re a rich narrative arc, I think, the show, in terms of the, you know, there's there's the portraits, there's the piece from Durham Cathedral, then there's glimpses of the molecule of light, and then then there's another internal piece around the blipverts, and then as night falls, it begins to change completely. And I know it's tied together by the idea of 528 hertz. So tell us more about what that means. Yeah, yeah. What does that five to eight hertz? What, what's that all about? It's you know, that's a question that people are asking, which is great because I think it's, it's you know, it's profound really. But uh, five to eight hertz uh, relates to the middle note on an ancient musical scale called solfeggio, which a lot of Gregorian chant music was was performed using this musical scale, which is slightly shifted from the musical scale that we're the Western musical scale that we're we're we're, we're normally. Um, you know, familiar with, but it's it's the middle note on a scale which relates to sacred geometry. So the way that the numbers and the vibrations are calibrated is on the same principles of sacred geometry. So the golden ratio, the Fibonacci sequence. There's a numerical sequence along which this musical scale is aligned, and it's said to correlate with the way that the energy works in the body. We have an energy system which is you know the nodal points in the body, known as the chakras. And this ancient musical scale aligns perfectly with the resonant frequencies of each energy node. So the middle note, 5 to 8 hertz, is the heart chakra. It's often referred to as the love signal. But interestingly, that the most advanced genetic science now has realized that at 5 to 8 hertz, not 5 to 7 or 5 to 9, at exactly 5 to 8, which is the middle note on this ancient scale, DNA resonates. And when it resonates, it can be worked with and, and manipulated and you can create with it, basically, the code of life. So, you know, I'm not a scientist, but th this is a, an idea that really resonates and fascinates me. And like a lot of the work, it's kind of pulling together these ideas, you know, collectively into a creative expression that somehow resonates with what we are as beings of light, as in, in an energetic context you know we're working with sound as opposed to music you know it's you know if we listen to a song for the first time we kind of know when the chord change is going to be we know the structure because that's the, the format that we listen to music and that we enjoy but it's deconstructing that just into the, the elements of sound and to tones but specific tones is that five to eight hertz love frequency you know was the starting point for you know an exploration you know into using light and sound to change our the way we feel and using yeah. art as the way of accessing that i like it when you i mean your body language there also you're sort of moving your hands almost like there's a vibration between these things and i think when you speak about it in terms of almost the physical and emotional the the energy and the spirit i think it, it's it's in that rub isn't it that you're really enjoying it and and, and i i in terms of the audience's response and how people people are making of that, it, 
I, I certainly saw that myself as people started to particularly rotate the molecule of light from a distance, mm. almost sort of taking it in in terms of its physical mass, because it's, you know, it's of a monumental scale, isn't it? 26 meters high. And then as they found their way to the middle, then they were often putting their arms out and sort of almost, uh, you know, bathing in it. Mm. Is, is that was that the kind of responses you were hoping for? I, completely. And in, in a way of doing that was to consider the piece, you know, in its context of the architecture, you know, being a building, being essentially is a big atomic structure held in place by universal forces. So it's, it's an energy field. I mean, we look at the building and we think of it, we go into it and it's bricks and glass. But actually what we're looking at there and what we're interacting with is a big energy field held in place by universal forces. Uh, but also within the landscape, within the way that the... Um, building is orientated, you know, facing the sunset and the line of trees and just the overall layout is a, in the physical realm becomes a grid and aligning the molecule onto that grid so that you're also composing how people are going to configure in how they perceive the work. It's aligning with a bigger, more also cosmic, you know, you know, we're relating it to, the, for instance, the laser scanners are moving at the same rate, like calibrated to the rotation of the Earth. There's a laser beam that's locked onto the North Star. It's, you know, it's configuring the work within a cosmic grid, as well as, you know, the nature, the beautiful sky that is changing all the time, the atmospheric conditions, all these different overlapping dimensions of reality, you know, to a point where on that center point, with the spot where I met James, Terrell, and where the spot where people naturally gravitate to, to stand directly in the middle. And we even, you know, we create a, a device, the ultraviolet dot within this fluorescent circle, and you line yourself up to the dots in the middle of the circle. Then you're in the middle of this sound beam, the five to eight sound beam. And, you know, where, how much we understand of it and how much of it is conceptual. And, but the interaction with it is what's important, is that, you know, you're feeling something while you're not thinking about it. You know, you're observing something without reacting to it and you're just in the present moment and it's a meditation. And, you know, the use of laser, you know, one of the things with being an artist working with so much technology is that things don't get lost in translation, that it doesn't get sanitized, you know, in the, in the way that the work is experienced because there's so much technology between the person and the art, the experience here and the art. But, you know, the laser is just a way of getting very pure forms of light, very pure signals of light. You know, we look at a laser and it might look, well, it looks so blue because it's literally just one wavelength of blue. And since the moment of, you know, waking this morning, going about my daily affairs and coming here today, I've not seen a single frequency. It's like I've been bombarded with light, but I've not observed a single pure frequency to, to spend time even just for moments where your attention's onto that pure signal it becomes a meditation and the longer you do that you, you realize that at the end of it you feel okay because you've not been thinking about what that person said to me how i'm going to pay the rent or what the, all these things in the mind all the noise you know you're in a state of more heart consciousness and just present with with an experience rather than thinking about it and um you know, cut, just cutting through the noise of, of modern life to, you know, spirit. I, I feel that when you're talking about the, I suppose, that moment of transcendence that so much, uh, you know, I suppose particularly we think about 
when I think about medieval art and, and maybe the journey through a cathedral where there is the drama of, of the you know of the west facade and then often coming through a small door and then finding you into the rhythm of a nave and the kind of order of that slowly approaching a rose window and then you're immersed in the light and there's a key point where you know it's absolutely about you it's not the thousand congregation it's only you and i i really feel that with the houghton hall show that as you say the geometries of that 18th century mansion and the gardens, you're in some ways completing it. And I, I know Lord Chomley was talking about the fact that Robert Walpole, when he was building it, he died young and didn't get to put fill it with follies, which most 18th century gardens would be. And I'm interested mm. in your thoughts on that in terms of completing this place, being that contemporary folly, that extra layer that brings yeah, a, a new and yeah filling gap type story. What do you think about that? And bringing it into the 21st century as well is, you know, and I think with, you know, with the work and, you know, like to take things to the edge, you know, and that in the, you know, it's, it's a great honour to be, you know, in the seven artists that have been there. I'm, I'm the one I haven't heard of. You know, it's a great honour to be amongst those, you know, some, you know, people I really look up to have inspired my work, you know, Anish Kapoor, um, you know, James Terrell. But, you know, it's, it's taking Houghton and everything it represents. Because I think we, we, we have, in 2021, we've entered a new paradigm. You know, the world is changing. And doing, doing this work at a time where, with all the craziness, we need some kind of refuge, is that, you know, if we, if we can use art in a way to bring us to a, a place of stillness and you know, bring us to the present moment, you know, with all the lineage, all the history, all the, the leading up to this point, you know, to the point of now, you know, which is all that ever really exists. But when we're experimenting and we're kind of working within that, um, you know, on that edge of time, yeah. and yeah. it's, uh, and it's a beautiful, I mean, I think, you know, that you can go to, you know, some stately homes or big houses and there's a heaviness about them, but and at Houghton, it feels good. You know, there's a really light, good feeling about, you know, the space and, and it's, you know, what it represents nowadays. Um, um, I think there's something, yes, like, yeah, unfinished about it, which I think allows you to more easily throw yourself in. Like, I particularly like there's a that, that burnt out area beside the, the, to the, to the uh, north of the house where there's uh, was an old brewery and there's a chimney there and there's no roof to it anymore and then there's one one of your blipverts sits there blips sits there which i think is incredibly dramatic but also particularly because it's in somewhere that's incomplete mm -hmm. how do you feel about that space yeah because I, I remember walking in there you know vividly walking in there and just considering it was when i was doing you know, some of my tours just thinking where i might you know what i might do here I walked into that wall garden and immediately it was, it was just the, the line of light represented by the blip just had to go there. And I wasn't even thinking necessarily of putting that type of work in there. But as soon as I walked into that space, I got it. And often it is the way that, you know, and sometimes, you know, with a project or an installation would be not to think about it too much till you actually get there. Because when you get there, it all makes sense. And often, you know, it comes immediately and you can process, you can think of it, you can consider it. But until you actually get into the physical space, 
you know, then it becomes really obvious. And it was in a flash, I saw what I was going to do in there. And it's, 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 it's a good part of the show. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting installation. Yeah, I think so. I think particularly the fact you, you know, you're, you're sort of like great 18th century gardens, you, you, you explore and your exploration is rewarded by something kind of curious around the corner. And the fact that unlike maybe in National Trust properties, which are full of maps and full of signs, this doesn't have it at all. And then you come around the corner and there it is, which is an absolute delight. So so context, tell me about it, because you've done, I mean, a lot of your 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 projects, whether it's in Durham Cathedral or Dark Mofo in Tasmania or, uh, you know, or, or Fed Square or Ed, the Eden Project. I mean, there's often a significant context to these, these the pieces, but often there is you finding that point of stillness within the drama. Where would be your ideal next context do you think where would you like to sh next show particularly in and maybe things like the laser show and the molecular light where would they ideally go do you think, think? Mm. well i'm very interested in you know this positioning of sacred sites around the planet and that you know a number of them or many of the main ones giza machu picchu stonehenge they're on these nodal points of of, of the earth there's a bioelectric field which is biomagnetic field which is configured like the flower of light, the sacred geometry pattern, the flower of light. And these nodal points are very tightly registered on this pattern across the globe. So, and I'm very interested in ley lines and just earth energies and think there's ancient wisdom that we've, we've forgotten or it's been held back or, you know, there's a whole other aspect of reality that, you know, the big monolithic structures will be relating to but to, to to work with some of the sacred sites um you know there's been talk about doing something at stonehenge um and you know at the pyramids at giza but you know to align you know the light and to align people's attention when they experience the work with these bigger cosmic configurations um that really that excites me yeah well, to draw it out, I mean, a lot of the way you're moving your arms, I mean, you're, you're pulling it out, aren't they? It's there. And I suppose a lot of, you know, what's interesting about particularly sacred geometry is when you start digging into it. I mean, I, I went on a basket weaving course the other day. I think I told you about it. And uh, and it was wonderful. It's, it's very calming for the one thing. And then we were talking about um, these ancient Islamic patterns. And then we were drawing together these these plans of these medieval cathedrals and like you know you use word geometry you know say you know geo being kind of you know the world and and meta being you know to, to measure and all we had was just compasses and it was so liberating just working like that and then drawing the points together and then making this connection with all these different cultures across thousands of years. And I think that's what I see in what you're talking about. There's something deeply universal about this. That's not really a question. That's just a basket story. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> but tell me about scale. So this one, I mean, with the molecule of light, I mean, it's a, you know, this is this is a thing of many, many people. And often the hardest thing about this is how that single thought, particularly that that care for that tra transcendent moment, what doesn't get in the way is the technology, the engineering, and all of the many people who who are making it. How has that? What's that experience been like for you? Yeah, it, it does. In you know, it's you know, it's a very much a, a collaborative effort. You know, in that 
you know, that involves structural engineering. There's a lot of considerations about, you know, the mass and how that will impact on, on, on the West Lawn and yeah. putting concrete underneath the grass. You know, there's all different, you know, niche expertise in the method of fabrication in how the fluorescence is going to work. There's nine layers of, of paint and lacquers to get, you know, get it to really pop. And so, you know, as with a lot of my work, it, you know, it is collaboration and, you know, the work we've done together and on the molecule, you know, especially it's, it's you know, that's how it comes about. There's, you know, can involve big teams of people, but it's the, the part, part of my work in, in, is, is to, you know, with a vision is trying to kind of pull together those different elements and faithfully, you know, to the end result, you know, and that's, there's a lot of considerations and a lot of areas that could get compromised along the way. Um, but is to keep, you know, distilling it and purifying it. And so, you know, the end result is, you know, retains the, the, the power of whatever it was that inspired it in the first place and didn't get lost in the, in the, the mechanics and the, you know, the, the, the health and safety considerations and which all these things have to be, you know, born into it. But, um, you know, it's I, I, and I think with the molecule, we, you know, we got there. Um, you know, we talked about the heights. You know, it was that, you know, during the day when the lasers, okay, when you got lasers on, you, you can the scale of it can encompass pretty well anything. I remember doing something in Ottawa some years ago where we literally drove out the city to see the beams coming out. You know, so it's looking at the scale of a landscape or a cityscape as the you know the canvas for a work with the molecule of light in, in the setting of Houghton, this big, impressive building, the big structure, you know, during the day, it had to sit in yeah. harmony in that context. And, and it does that in, in you know, in, in a number of ways, you know, one of which is, is physical scale is, is the same height as the building, it's locked off on that grid, but also the intensity of color is really vibrant and creates a lot of noise for, you know, something relatively small, it's, it has a lot of presence. And then when you get the lasers and you come on into the evening and, and the sun sets, then, you know, the scale of it, then it gets, you know, it gets cosmic. Um, you know, I like to think, you know, in, in Tasmania and Dartmouth, with beautifully clear nights, you know, next stop down is Antarctica. Well, those, some of those beams, some of those photons are still traveling in space now. You know, as we've been talking, you know, the, we think of the, the work, um, the scale of the work is expanding at 186,000 miles per second. You know, as we, you know, so just in this sentence, it's, you know, it's another million miles bigger. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, yes, yeah, it's quite an inspiring kind of consideration. I do love this kind of uh, your body language of constant, you know, noise and signal, noise and signal coming back and forth. And I think I remember when we were first talking about particularly the sphere for the molecule and the idea that during the day it would ideally it, there would be vibration and rhythm within that. But it needed to be drawing you in rather than, you know, being a thing that explodes you out. And I think the moiring of the sphere is doing that isn't it it's constantly drawing you in it's like a great big physical lens yeah that's um, a bit of a real because you know you can kind of work these things out in theory but until you actually do them in scale and see the, the dynamics but I, I was really pleased with you know the the, the rate of the moire you know you, li you literally because I thought you'd have to kind of probably move some distance 
really notice the change in the patterning, but the patterning changes as you walk with every footstep, you know, it's, it's, it's modulating and that, that side of it. And it's all, you know, often in, cause there are different elements to the, the, the show, the, you know, the print works, the, the blips, the, the portraiture, the, the different aspects of it. It's trying to pull them together. And did they make it in terms of conceptually with the show? And I, the, the test, the acid test was with frequency and vibration. You know, if it, if it relates to frequency and vibration and the unseen and, and the, the energetic aspects of, of the physical world, then it kind of passed the test. So the, the moire is really, really vibrating, you know, day or night. It's, it's, it's really, really very effective. It's got that lovely moment, I think, when it particularly at dusk, I advise anybody listening to this to try and get there at dusk, because as it goes from a thing of colour and wiry and physicality to something that's pure energy and scaleless, that's a cracking moment. I we love that. Now, so I suppose, I suppose a last piece, really, that a lot of when you speak about that journey from noise to signal, uh, the 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 meditative state that you're inspiring, but I know also comes from a you know your meditation, your practice, and I'm interested in. I remember you talking to me about when you were doing the portrait of the Queen. That in some ways the signal, the noise around that, the the anxiety, the drama, the numbers of people, the amount of technology, and how you found a certain quietness within that, which I think comes out in in the work so beautifully. And I was wondering, in terms of not just how you set the scene for your work, and particularly that piece, you found a calm there, didn't you, within the noise? I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. Mm. Well, with, with the Queen portrait specifically, you know, it was at a time where I'd, I'd just done my first Vipassana retreat. I was getting into meditation to the point where I felt really strongly as I do, you know, if the world meditated, what a better place it'd be, more compassion, there'd be no wars, we'd be looking after each other, we'd evolve quicker as a species. And, and the practice of meditation, the, the one that I, I found that most helpful and that, that got me into it was with Vipassana. And where they say it's Buddha's gift to mankind, it's not a Buddhist technique, anyone, anyone can, can practice it, but it's all about um, access to a, a, a more divine dimension through your breathing and through the breath and through the breath you know to get to the realization that you know we're a mass of subatomic particles you know vibrating it was that with her majesty was timing had a camera that had to move and do a pass and shoot 200 frames going from left to right and i was timing that sequence with her majesty's breathing to get a sense of calm in the work yeah. and it's it was you know, and it worked, um, you know, but they're, with her eyes shut, it was, a, you know, a side story here. It was just that there was a lot of light onto Her Majesty. And I asked if she'd like to rest in between shots. And it was a moment of calm. But through all the work, you know, shot through those sittings, you know, I was trying to time it with, 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 the, with the breath. Yeah. And, and wasn't there an acorn that played a part in your calm too, which I like that? Yes, it was. My, as, I, as I left the house um, that morning to go to Buckingham Palace to do the shoot, my daughter Thea gave me a little acorn and said, you know, good luck, Dad. And I, I thought, it was lovely. And I put it in my pocket. And when I got to Buckingham Palace, went into the yellow drawing room and I felt this thing in my pocket. I'll just I'll put that somewhere. So I just put it on the centre of the mantelpiece, which was a very ornate Chinese vase there. And I put it right in the middle there. 
and just thought, just leave it there. It was a good luck thing. It was fine. And then when Her Majesty came in and she put on her crown, she went to the mirror, stood in front of where this acorn was. And at the time, we, we had allowed a, um, someone from the Sunday Times just to photograph the sitting just for the first 15 minutes. And then I asked if they, they, they could leave after because I needed time, you know, it would be a distraction. But okay, the first 15 minutes. So they took a photograph of Ma'am adjusting her crown in front of this mirror and it ended up on the cover of the Sunday Times magazine. And if you look on that picture, you can see the acorn is on the cover <laughs> of the magazine. Um, and yeah, not many people know that. <laughs> I love that. Well, Chris, it's been, as ever, such a delight to speak to you. And I, I think I, I, I'm so struck by this experience of the, the vibration between things energetic and spiritual, things of energy and spirit, things of noise and signal, and how you find that that calm at the centre of it. It's it's such a pleasure talking to you and working with you. And you I too, Adam, and you helped me get there. I mean, it was a big vision, and I couldn't have done it without my great team, and you are a key, key player. That's an understatement. Thank you, sir. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. Let's do more. Let's do more around the world. Molecules Light 2 is coming. And I hope, yeah, the world must go and see the show. It's a great one. Great. Thank you. Oh, oh, thank thank you, you, Adam. Appreciate that. Thank you for listening to the Free Thinking Podcast today. Do subscribe so you know when the next episodes are. And do leave us a comment so we can get better and better. Thank you and see you soon.